Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And we got our announcement, our official announcement, finally, of what is going to be banned and restricted, sort of. It's funny. We still call it the BNR, right? Like, we don't really deal in restrictions much these days. Nobody cares about vintage, but BNR has stuck for some reason. Well, yeah. I mean, the last thing that even happened in vintage was a card got outright banned. That's true. Because restricting Luris wouldn't do a damn thing. No, it would not. Nerfing it into the ground, though. Eh, that might have worked. Eh, maybe. Probably, actually. But whatever. Historic doesn't have a restricted list, but it has a suspended list. But I refuse yeah. to acknowledge the suspended list. Let's just talk about it like it's, it's banned. It's effectively banned, right? I mean... I, I, I guess there's a theoretical world where this card was such a problem that you felt the need to remove it from the format, and then things happen where it's safe again. It happened with Field of the Dead, right? Like, is that the one time that a card on the whatever list didn't ultimately move to full ban? I assume that Field of the Dead was actually on a banned list and then just got unbanned. Like, that's that's the thing. Is like, it doesn't really matter, matter. if it's suspended doesn't or matter banned. Correct. Yeah, if it's, if it's banned, you can unban it. And there's an example here. So anyway, I'm just going to read this list. All this stuff went down on Monday. It looks like that is already in effect on Magic Online. And by the time this podcast comes out, it will be effective on MTG Arena. And uh, they, they still put the tabletop date in there. Love it. Perfect. From the top, historic. Agent of Treachery is officially banned. Winota, Joiner of Forces, is banned. Fires of Invention is banned. Those are all suspended. Whatever. Nexus of Fate is banned, not even going to the suspended list. We've we've tried this before. It's It should just be banned. Burning Tree Emissary is suspended. So you're saying there's a chance. There's, there's a chance, I guess, but I don't know. So I am very happy with things that cheat Agent of Treachery into play being banned. I think that that tracks. It is just as true in Historic as it is in Standard. Burning Tree Emissary, I saw some people argue that it doesn't need to go because the only reason Gruul's win rate was so good was because of the fact that Nexus existed. And with Nexus being gone, then Gruul will presumably be worse against you know more mid-range decks coming out to play or whatever. I don't know. I think suspending slash banning Burning Tree is fine. Kind of funny that it's one of the cards from the anthologies. Yeah, purposefully thing. printed for the format, but yeah. Yeah, and that was one of those cards where you look at it and it's like, wh- what good is this going to do for anyone? Like, you want to help aggro decks, and this is the card that you print, like this, This if it's, if it's free, it's you, Brian, right? Why? Why this one? There's just such a huge, huge level of variance inherent in Burning Tree Emissary. Like there's times where it's the most busted possible card. I mean, the times where you draw multiples and then an additional two drop, it feels absolutely unbeatable. And then it's blank cardboard. And the games where it feels unbeatable are miserable for opponents and don't really do a lot to make the format look good. And the blank cardboard games are miserable (laughs) for the people on the casting side of burden tree emissary. So I don't think it was a good inclusion in the format and like, that's fine. I'm sure that this is not the highest priority format for wizards. So you're not going to nail it on the first go around. And I'd rather you admit these mistakes. I think it's good to like 
you could certainly envision a world where because these cards are included in historic anthology, they'd be hesitant to ever act on them. Doesn't seem to be the case. So I'll give credit for that. Ultimately, the right decision, I think, was made here. I don't think the format benefits from this card. So I'm glad to see it go. I'm glad to see it go, too. Uh, I can't imagine that even if, you know, rule gets worse as the format shifts, that this card being in the format is a net positive for the format. And I am glad to see them just be like, nope, this is this is the problem card. This is the one that we're getting rid of rather than, I don't know, banning gruel spellbreaker or something silly. Yeah, what's, what's next up? Like, I, I, I heard I talk know. of Llanowar Elves, but that seems to be kind of part of the identity of the format right now, as much as it has identity. So that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But I, I think that might be like the next most powerful card, right? Yeah, I mean, I which between Land Worlds and Burning Tree Emissary, it's arguable like which one is stronger in a vacuum. Sure. Uh, but yeah, clearly, if if you keep Land Worlds around, it's still viable. It also props up other decks. I would assume that it does things for decks that they would want to have in the format. Things that promote you know healthy interactive gameplay, like you you get to shock the elf on turn one like that is an actively good thing for the format rather than all right i'll, I'll play a pill collector or like a red one drop and then a bunch of burning tram series you know it's like the the yep. world we can deal with right yep yeah i i do like the fact that they're just like yeah this thing's in our anthologies whatever no big deal does that mean if you buy those now you just get like it just comes with four wild cards i don't know how that works i don't know that you can still buy them i don't think you can any longer i think you just have to craft them Okay, so if you have Burning Tree emissaries, like you, you get the well, you get the wild cards when it gets banned, right? Not when it gets suspended. I believe that's how it works, and I think that is maybe the reason why this breakpoint exists. Although I still am not clear on what is actually being achieved in that scenario. Like, I, it seems like it's a way to keep more money in the bank, but I'm not actually parsing out how that achieves that goal. So uh, it's weird and I don't get it. And I think it's just a matter of time until they go, okay, this is kind of unnecessary. Okay. So burning tree emissary basically has zero uses on arena at this point, right? Yes. Like unless, unless you're playing like historic brawl or something, I don't even know if there's a cure for that. I don't know either. I doubt it, but yeah, kind of, kind of funny that it's it's in one of those sets and now is just completely useless, but so it goes. So where this leaves us, I think, is Field of the Dead being quite good again. And I don't know if that card is just going to dance back and forth from suspended to legal or not, but I was chatting with Nick Prince and we built like a very rough golos deck and he started playing it he was loving it he was smashing people granted he had some nexuses in his deck because golos nexus is kind of busted but for sure uh, even even without nexus i think that i mean that, that deck with now with uro with cultivate you're going to have explore from jumpstart like all of these other things it's like this this deck is very very good yeah, there's some kind of blue-green mid-range shutup for sure. Shocking, right? Nobody saw that coming. A good, solid Simic deck based around these extremely powerful cards. It's hard to know what the next step for the metagame is, though, because it does feel like uh, it's really been dominated by these cards that were addressed here. I mean, before 
these latest bands, it was all about the cards that have now found their way onto the permanent ban list. Like that was the entire format previously. And Nexus has kind of been looming over it for quite some time now. And look, I never understood printing Nexus of Fate. I basically said that on day one and everyone you laughed did. at me. Uh, it has now been very clearly vetted out that this is a card that, again, can't do anything good. And I think there's a few of those floating around still for this historic format. Like some goals would be good. And maybe we'll have to loop background at the end of this discussion when we talk about all of the banned and restricted announcement is that all of these formats feel like they're lacking goals right now. And I don't know exactly what we're trying to get to with the historic format. Like, is it just supposed to be as balanced as we can make the entire card pool that's available on arena? Okay. I think you can ask for more from what is like your premier eternal format on arena. And granted, this is all complicated by the fact that like pioneers coming, that was only confirmed this week. So yeah, I, I think that's part of the reason why we're not seeing clear goals set, but it's really hard to kind of track both the past and the future of this format when I don't know what we're supposed to be doing here. That's true. I I would imagine that the fact that Historic exists is it, it's made because they wanted people to be able to use their cards that rotate because before- Great goal. Yeah, your Essential cards would rotate. Your cards would rotate. They would do literal nothing. So you need somewhere to play them. Cool. If- that is the goal of historic, then yeah, I think you do want the format to be relatively balanced. I do think that there's also some merit in having it be like standard, but really, really powerful. But I think that first and foremost, you should have a place where players can play with the stuff that they invested in. And the way that historic is going currently with, I don't know, like these anthology sets with things like burning tree emissary, it's like, that's got to get toned down a little bit. And then you have like, Things like Jumpstart coming into the mix where it's like you pick up Explore for these ramp decks that are already saturated with powerful ramp cards and powerful top ends and stuff. It's like I don't feel like you can get the format to a place where people feel like they actually get to use all of their cards that have rotated. Because like you said, if the format's going to be more powerful that powerful stuff is going to take up the majority of the format and outclass a lot of the stuff that's technically legal. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that same problem. I mean, I want to say in eternal formats, but we see it in standard, right? Like the yeah. best stuff is so good that it squeezes out a lot of the space right now. And I think that's the issue that historic really has to come to terms with. And honestly, this is the format where bands should probably be super aggressive. Like you have a chance to experiment I wouldn't even care if you like eroded cards that exist only in the jumpstart sets and only on the historic anthology sets. Like just say, this is a different card as it exists on arena. Like, I don't care. This is all nonsense magic anyway. And I don't mean to be dismissive of it. Like, I think it's a, a format that a lot of people are happy exists and I'm happy it exists. Like I want to be able to use these cards, but it's, it's clearly Calvin ball at this point. Like we're just yeah. making up the rules as we go. And Lean into that. Use it as a place for experimentation and see what you can do if you really uncheck yourself with bands and just use them to kind of unnaturally filter the format and cycle the format. And maybe that was the goal with this whole, what is it, what is it even called? I forget every single time I go to talk about it. Not restricted, but 
suspended with the whole suspended list. Maybe the goal is to have just a cycling format where these things are occasionally good and then they're gone for a little while and then absence makes the heart grow fonder and they come back. I am I am down for experimentation. I just don't think that's a very effective piece of experimentation and I'd rather just see aggressive bands and trying to achieve some kind of goal. And if the goal is just like broad card pool plus some of Magic's greatest hits thrown in, which like seems like the anthology stuff was trying to do. I don't know. It's so weird though, right? Like again, even within the anthology sets, it's like, how do I expect the shrines to matter when you've got Burning Tree Emissary or, you know, how is, what other stuff is in the anthology sets that just can never possibly compete? Like there's a lot, there's a lot that's just nowhere near constructed power level as it exists right now. And Again, I would rather see more chances. I'd rather see some old classics called out and see how they compete with present cards. Like, I don't hate things like Swords to Plowshares or something that gives a nostalgic burst to people. And, like, not having Lightning Bolt in this format, why? Like, Lightning Bolt doesn't scare me. It doesn't even keep pace with anything that's going on in Standard right now. But it was specifically taken out when Jumpstart was added. So it's a really strange mix of too powerful and not powerful enough that we're jamming into this historic format right now. Yeah, I agree. I think they're trying to toe the line as far as, you know, is, is this Calvin ball, is it a fake format or not? And what you were talking about with regards to them having the capability to errata cards and just like make it even more fake, but potentially more fun. I feel like, they could just do things like ban aggressively because the player base isn't really there and you get you get your your wild cards back when things get actually banned. Right. But and you know the problem with that, right? Is the the other 71 cards in your deck that you craft or whatever. Yeah. Correct. Now, if this so, is a format, but think about the goal of the format. Like these are just cards that you've accumulated over time anyway. Like hopefully people are mostly not buying into this format and maybe that should be like explicitly stated. Like we will ban a lot. Don't buy into this format. This is for you to use your old cards. And I understand why as a business you're never going to say that, but that's the best gameplay case, I think. Yeah. But for for things like Jumpstart, where it's like, well, no, this card uh, exists on Arena in a different facet than it does in real life. It's To me, it's just like, well, don't put that card in Jumpstart. I mean, the fact that there's like Reanimate and Exume and this list of cards that they're just like, oh, well, we're going to have these cards be legal in Historic, except for like these 10 cards or whatever. It's like, why are they in the set then? It's a fair question. You could You could just play around it and just have it not be so weird and have there be like so many rules that people need to remember. Yeah. Yeah. You found the replacement when it came time to put them on arena. You couldn't have just done that in the set. Like is the jumpstart experience destroyed by changing lightning bolt to lightning strike or whatever the change was. I don't think it was exactly that, but it's strange to be sure. And I mean, if it's like, Oh, well we needed these cards to get reprinted for paper or whatever. It's like, I don't know. A lot of them, I just don't think that that's the case. I don't know the exact list off the top of my head, but I know like Reanimate, for example, was just reprinted like not that long ago in a master set. So I just, I don't think that that's really their goal either. So then I'm just like, why, why, why are these cards in the set? I guess it feels to me like maybe Jumpstart was concepted and pretty far along the line. And then it's like, oh, we want this to be, Hitler, can we do this on Arena? And the answer is yes. And then it's like, well, they're going to be on Arena. We should have 
a place where they can play them? Can we just make them legal and historic? Yeah, but now it's like too late to actually remake Jumpstart or whatever. Like, right. I feel like yeah. that's the, that's the only way that this could have happened. Okay, that's a good theory. I could buy into that. But I will I will take off my my tinfoil hat and we can just move on. Love when we put on our tinfoil hats here. One of my favorite things to do. Yeah, it's not not my favorite, but I still do it a decent amount. I don't know why I should just stop. Oh, it's hard. I mean, you want logic, you want order, you I want do. to make sense of the scenario. And where you don't have information, it generally involves breaking out the tinfoil hat. So, yep. Got to got to tell yourself a story. Uh anything else on historic? No. I don't have much else to say. I've I've played quite a bit of historic. I think it's like a nice standard alternative, but I just wish it was more of a palate cleanser. I want the experience to feel fundamentally different from the arena era of standard, I guess. Like I just feel like I've been doing this for so long and nothing really feels unique about it quite yet. I know they're trying, like that's what the historic anthologies are supposed to do, obviously. They haven't quite hit the mark for me yet. I do think it has potential though. It's just hard to parse its long-term future as part of arena as we make this effort to bring Pioneer into the mix. Would I be correct in saying that you have not Ranger of Eos for Acera Ascendant yet? You are correct. Yeah, see? Haven't done that. Dude, you got to buy into the anthology stuff. I don't think I do. I think I'm just supposed to play the good standard cards for the most part. You want a palate cleanser. You want to play with the weird stuff. But I also want to win. I guess I should have included that point. Like that was important that I mentioned. I don't want to lose while I'm doing it. You You can't palate cleanse... And try and win at the same time. It just okay, doesn't work. My mistake. My mistake. I want my cake and I want to eat it too. Yeah. So before Nexus really took over, I played some with that life gain deck. And I assume, I, I'm pretty sure like that's why I don't have any rare wild cards. It's because I got, <laughs> yeah. I got some of these, these anthologies cards, including the life gain stuff. And that stuff was good. Like the life gain deck is solid. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, like Golos, for example. And it's like, well, maybe it's not quite there yet or whatever. But uh, it is, it's got some powerful stuff. You definitely have enough to fill out a deck and be happy about it, you know? And that was a solid palette cleanser for me. It's like, okay, maybe I'm winning 60% instead of 70% or whatever, but like, it's still fine. Yeah, maybe in a post-Nexus world, I could see more space for stuff like that too. Like obviously Nexus closes out so many end games, Although... I will say Wilderness Reclamation being left behind, like two cards that I've been super high on basically from the moment they were printed. Yeah, Wreck Wreck is going to cause problems further down the line. I think so too. That's that's a given. Yeah. And it's like, it's not to say you should have just gone after Wreck and left Nexus, because again, Nexus can't do anything good, but leaving Reclamation around might not, might not engender as much change as you would at first respect, expect with the banning of Nexus of Fate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's... There's Team Wreck in Standard that could very easily be ported and probably get some reasonable upgrades and is probably going to be relatively strong. I mean, I would not play that deck when you can play actual Nexus, right? Mm-hmm. But also Wilderness Wreck has also been showing up in Pioneer and Modern. So yes, it is. No format is safe, Brian. You you called them you called them correct. Yeah, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. So yeah. All right, that's it for historic. I think we'll probably talk about this format more as it gets looped more into actual OP and yep. these bigger tournaments. Yeah, and um, it's coming up. There's like an arena open coming up. And I, I enjoyed the last arena open. I expect to play this one too. And certainly I'll have some more to say about historic while that's happening. Don't fire too many bullets, man. 
I'm a, I'm a one bullet kind of guy. You know that, Jerry. Love it. All right. Uh, Pioneer. Oath of Nyssa is unbanned full stop. Okay. That's it. That's all you got for me. Just just an Oath of Nyssa. This is, this is what's supposed to save a format that nobody plays anymore. There was like, at the time of this announcement, there was something like 230 or 240 people sitting in the Pioneer League and the showcase events hadn't fired in weeks. And this is what you do to revitalize the format. Like, I get it. But the win rates, Brian, the win rates. I know. I know that's where we were going, Gerald. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's the, it's the Etherworks Marvel problem all over again. If people don't want to play with these magic cards, I don't care what the win rate is. It just doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant. The Marvel announcement was so passive aggressive, though. it, It was. But it still made the correct call. If you had to be passive aggressive in this announcement while you banned whatever you were banning from Inverter and banned whatever you were banning from Breach, okay, I would have taken that passive aggressivity in stride. I would have heaped it on myself, enjoyed it, and then gotten back to playing Pioneer, which is what I really want to do. And if I'm talking from my perspective – I do like the Pioneer format. I, I like Inverter. I think it's a really interesting deck. I'm glad it exists. Breach, a little bit less so, but I'm also happy there's a space where something like that is viable. Like I think it's important to represent all forms of magic. Ultimately, my opinion doesn't matter, though, and I'm willing to accept that. And just because I enjoy these things doesn't mean the player base does. And it's just obvious that they are upset. They don't want to play this format anymore. And like, is there a world where I can see Oath of Nyssa empowering decks such that those two decks become a lower percentage of the metagame and then people get reinterested again? Maybe. Maybe that's possible. But it's all about controlling the narrative and putting the right headline out there. And that announcement didn't have anyone jumping back into the queues. And I think it was just a miss. And Again, there's a very favorable interpretation of these actions that I'm going to put forth. And I, again, my tinfoil hat's on. I would put a decent bet on this being the case. With all the banning going on across every format, there is a level of exhaustion and consumer confidence destruction that you just can't sustain. It has to stop at some point. And the only way to try and alter the format without, again, assailing consumer confidence by banning cards that people have bought and spent loads of money on, myself included, the only way to preserve that consumer confidence was by trying to alter the format with an unbanning, and there was nothing else on that list that was even close to safe. Oath of Nyssa was as safely as you could do this particular play. So I'm willing to give the most favorable interpretation and say that's the goal here, but you waited too long. You could have done this a couple months ago and maybe it hits and maybe it gets people to stick around the format and you get the chance for that natural metagame churn. But I think you needed something dramatic in this announcement and this was not it. Well, I think since very few people are playing the format just in general and there's less information about it, it's less likely that that churn actually happens, right? Because people aren't really getting any new information as far as like, what deck actually does beat Inverter and Breach? Like, what deck should I be playing? And, I mean, there there are some events for Pioneer, right? But, like, clearly not enough to have people flocking to the format in droves. So, yeah. 
I think, yeah, it's possible that they expected the format to churn because that's what the numbers told them. And then it didn't. And it was like, well, we should, we should do something to give them a nudge. And this, this is it. This is kind of the bone. Uh, I will say that when your BNR announcement is, you know, effectively like eight cards getting banned, adding a couple more to the list, like what's the opportunity cost in that, man? You're talking about sure under undermining consumer confidence would it matter if like inverter or thoughts oracle or whatever were on the list i mean if anything i think that would be a band that people would be happy with i i don't know i don't know at this point i i know that there is a level of fatigue and exhaustion with the management of the bnr list and so if, it, if it's happening every every month or whatever that's one thing right it's like oh here's another bnr announcement but this one is already so massive that you could just add a card to this list and it'd be fine. Nobody would even notice. <laughs> you just slip one in there. It, it wouldn't make anyone more upset is what I'm saying. It like, wouldn't undermine consumer confidence any more than the last 12 months already has. Yeah, I understand your theory. We're, we're free rolling now, baby. Right. I, you can do I get whatever it. you want. I get it. At somewhere, though, you like got to pull the ripcord and try and get things back on a reasonable course. Like I, I'm with you. I think this was this was the wrong moment to do it. And I also would propose that if like this is the goal, you could have just nerfed the two decks that I, I think are the problem decks that everyone is worried about and not gone after the trademark cards. Now, granted, if you do that and you miss, as we did all of last year with stuff like Hogak. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's, it's bad real again. Bad. Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole problem of like the ecosystem we're in right now is that everyone is so burned and like angry and that makes wizards a little gun shy and then it just kind of self perpetuates. So Yeah, don't do that. Don't don't take half measures when you're worried about burnout. Yeah. Like actually actually just do it. Again, I I'm, I'm going to come back around to this in the end. May you have to hold me to this. I want to talk about broad goals and I may even write about it. Like I I think there's something to be said for setting the terms of engagement, but we'll save it till after we've talked about every format. Okay. I think that people are going to put Oath of Nyssa in decks. I think that Oath of Nyssa is going to help decks that were not played all that much. I don't think those decks are going to do particularly great against Inverter and Breach. And if they feel like it is non-zero that they're going to have to ban something out of those two decks further down the line, doesn't matter how long it is, they should have done it here. Agree with you. The one deck I've had my eye on in Pioneer, which is like newish, I would say, at least as far as the Pioneer metagame goes, Winota. And I think it may actually benefit from Oath of Nyssa as well, just having a little bit more consistency and a, a virtual cantrip since the deck is like 36 creatures regardless. That deck is probably underplayed for how good it is. And there's another deck that you wanted to talk about when we did our pre-show meeting. I'll let you say your piece on it because I don't know where this deck went. Oh, uh, you notice how all those cards got banned in Historic, like Agent, Fires of Invention, all that? Yep. There was like, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago where I wrote this article about how that, like Jeskai Luka was the best deck in Pioneer and now no one is playing it. Just gone. It's off the face of the earth and I have no idea where it went to the extent that when I was last looking at a Pioneer deck list dump, 
I had to go check the ban list to be Me like, too. where are these cards? Did something get banned? And I just forgot about it because it's strange. Yeah, I based based on that, like I, I wrote an article after Oath of Nyssa got unbanned and I was like doing some research and, you know, like looking at the metagame breakdown and stuff. I'm like, wait a second, where where the Luka Deca? Did they ban it in Pioneer in the last you know, announcement? And I just like forgot or missed it or whatever. And it's like, no, it's, it's still legal. So why the hell aren't people playing this deck? I what guess happened? you lost you lost the Urian turn, right? And like that's a, that's a big deal for sure, but it still seems like the core is enough. Sort of, yeah. So okay, companion got nerfed, right? Like that. That's obviously a thing that impacted the deck. However, the deck is still very good. You don't have like busted, busted turns. You still have busted turns, though. I buy it, especially it, it in a solid in a deck with fires, man. It's like you you got to be able to come up with three mana at some point on one of those turns. Like I understand a lot of the bonus was being able to like blink your fires and then also cast a spell, but I don't know. It seems weird to me. Something's going on. This is one of those things where I'm like, I'm missing something. I felt but I the don't same think way. Felt the same way. We'll see if that deck can make a comeback. Uh, one more deck I would mention too, that continually catches my attention. I don't know if it's good or not. Uh, just red, black, Young Pyromancer plus Village Rites, Groxa in the mix, an actual Lurus deck still floating around. This deck hasn't quite put up the results I expected when I first saw it break onto the scene because it feels very powerful to me. I don't think things got better for it. Like Oath of Nyssa entering the picture is not really what this deck wanted to see given the type of decks that should power up. But long-term, I have my eye on this archetype as something that could be maybe refined a little bit more and get to a good place. I obviously like this deck a lot. However, it bothers me that the lists are largely unchanged from the original list that five owned, like right down to the one Archfiend's Vessel. Just seems like we could do more. Yeah. So I was I was going through, and I have a lot of ideas for how to either fix this or like take it in a different direction, you know, and I don't know, maybe I'll get to that at some point, write an article about it or something, but... This also hasn't been a deck that, you know, like, oh, if I write about this, like a bunch of people will click on it. You know, like if people aren't interested in it, I'm not going to write about it. Yeah, it, t- it takes a certain type to really get excited about young Pyromancer synergies. And we know that's well in your wheelhouse, also in my wheelhouse. So I, I want this deck to be good very badly. Pyromancer Village writes is what's up. Yeah, it's good it stuff. It is nice. And it doesn't require like that much help or setup or anything. And then six cards in the deck just like, bring the pyro back so i don't know mm-hmm. it seems it seems very good to me yeah way too many people playing like mono black aggro with like i don't know pretty pretty poor looking deck lists and i don't know all the other decks are fine and i think oath of nissa adds like some more fine archetypes i mean uh the the decks i wrote about were mono green devotion which basically goes back to its day one version except you're missing Leyline of abundance and once upon a time which were like your big burst in mana and you know a free cantrip that helped your consistency immensely so yeah, those cards are pretty good yeah uh oath of nissa i i don't even know why oath was banned in the first place you know it's no like, idea it it wasn't really an egregious offender and i'm not sure what they were worried about especially once you take out Leyline at the same time I have to remember the timing. Was Oathban at the same time as Felidar Guardian ban? Or was yeah. it before? No, it was the same time. Yeah, I just can't wrap my head around it then. 
and then the other one is Kethis, which I think Oath of Nyssa is just genuinely good in. And it's possible, like, Kethis was kind of coming up around the time when those bannings happened. Yep. And I, I could envision them being scared of, like, Oath of Nyssa, Teferi, Oko, because, like, Oko didn't get banned until later. Uh, right. Like those, those sorts of decks being very good. And now that Oko's gone, it's like, okay, well, you can, you can have Oath of Nyssa back and we're not super worried about Kethis, but Luris Oath of Nyssa is pretty nice. Yeah. Good little card advantage engine. There's still some exploration to do in Pioneer. It's just the, <laughs> the people who fled the format, they're not coming back based on this. They're going to need some more changes. Uh, I guess it's on us to make the metagame do that rotation thing. Get to work, Gerald. I did. I wrote this article. Uh, apparently, I had five decks instead of four. I wrote even more than I thought. Band Control, Oath of Nyssa with Urian, also quite good. Yep. Uh, kind of awkward where, I don't know, anything that is like Bant-ish colors, leaning a little bit more controlling, like you're going to want to play a bunch of spells, but this kind of makes up for it by like Uro being a spell and like Oath of Nyssa being on the fine planeswalkers and stuff. So I wouldn't imagine that you have too many misses. So I think that this deck looks reasonable. And then Sultai Midrange, which is basically the Delirium deck. And then uh, Jund with Luris, which obviously got worse. But again, like Oath of Nyssa interacts very favorably with two of the companions. Yeah, most things interact favorably with companions. Weird. Imagine if they were still fully powered up what a world we lived in just a few months ago yeah whatever it's fine everything's fine now okay. see there yeah, you as go as you, long as you say so dude you got your errata that's what you wanted right <laughs> that's true that's true see i i'm excited to kind of like toy around with pioneer and stuff but i also wish that there was a reason for me to i guess well, you could qualify now for one of the Arena Pro Tours via Magic Online, and I think through Pioneer, I think, maybe? Oh, probably. I mean, I, I did that. I like got to the finals and conceded in Pioneer. That was fun. You can do that again. I could do that, but see, let's, that's the thing is like, I could do that, but I'm, I don't want to do it for me. I want to do it for everyone else. So I want there to be a reason for people to be interested in Pioneer. And like you said, I don't think this announcement really does that. And if the big high EV events on the weekends aren't even firing because they can't get enough people, it doesn't seem like there's much interest in the format. Yeah, we'll see how this weekend goes. I I hope they fire. It would be real disappointing to just see the format wilt on the vine, especially because we know it's an important part of Wizards' plans, like it's coming to Arena. So they believe in this format? question mark i mean <laughs> the whole thing is so weird i i don't even understand where pioneer came from it was like an out of nowhere announcement and very strangely competing with the historic space but it does seem at this point they are they are in for the long haul they've take taken the time i mean they mentioned doing multiple pioneer masters on magic arena so you know there's already a bunch of work being done i would expect whatever has to get done to get this format afloat I think it will happen. I don't think it's going to go underwater and just disappear. No, I mean, either. I mean, I think that that sort of format kind of has to exist. It not being on arena or like not being in their plan was like obviously kind of dubious, but they're working to remedy that. So that's good. But modern is a format that people play for fun. And pioneer is reminiscent of old extended where 
you know, they play it when they have to, you know, like if it's a qualifying season or whatever, it's like, okay, well now I'll get up high in your deck and I'll pay attention or whatever. But it's not, it's not going to be a thing like modern where people just end up loving it. And part of the problem is because modern was already created and people are, are, yeah, they're, they're there. They have their modern deck or modern decks, you know, and that was the thing that they did with their friends and at their local store and whatever. And you just can't have too many of those formats. So I don't know. Pioneer got announced. I think that might've been the most fun I had in magic in recent memory was like, you know, the couple months after it got released and we're like building decks and trying new things and whatever. And now it's just like, okay, well it kind of got figured out and it's not actually a good format. Yeah. That was a good, a good moment. Good moment in magic's history. Uh, We were definitely fully engaged, fully pumped, cranking out YouTube content and then hit a brick wall a little bit with the entire format. So I believe in its potential. It's just going to take some work and uh, we'll get there eventually. Why did they say that they were going to be aggressively ban things, banning things in Pioneer and then stop doing that? Why did they? They got the format to the perfect point of equilibrium, I guess. Says them. Yeah. All right, modern. Arkham's Astrolabe is banned. Go. So Arkham's Astrolabe, one of the most egregious cards ever printed. It just like breaks a very important rule of magic at almost no cost. No one's going to argue that we ever should have went down this road. But now that we're here, I don't even know if I like this band. I actually think like modern was in a pretty good place. And the thing that Arkham's Astrolabe was subsidizing always was fair decks. For the first time in modern's history, you could Okay, I won't say the first time. There's been other moments, but rare moments. You could legitimately show up with a reactive deck with a non-linear, non-nonsense deck and be making a good decision. And that just hasn't happened. And it's weird for modern. It's not what like the modern player base really likes for the most part. Like They get excited about that linear type of magic. And that's why I think the response was so filled with vitriol but it didn't feel like this format actually needed this ban like the format that needed a ban because it's not getting played was pioneer modern events were firing and a lot of people were talking about how good the modern format was and this being the moment to take out astrolabe is so strange to me not trying to argue that like the card should be around for all of magic's history like maybe this had to happen at some point because it is right. so parasitic and it does drive things in such a direction. But did it have to be right now? And like, even if you think the control decks are a win percentage problem, another card that is going to have to be addressed at some point, Uro. Mystic Sanctuary, another oh. card that's going to have to be addressed <laughs> at some point, Uro. No, both those cards are very legitimate answers. And I think like targeting this one at this moment feels like, feels like you're taking out the wrong thing right now. But I understand why in a vacuum, this is a conclusion you reach because this card is more egregious than either Mystic Sanctuary or Oro. And if you have to take down those decks a peg, I get why this was the moment. It just, it's weird. And I would have rather just stood pot in modern with no big events coming up with the format being played. Just let's see if the metagame can churn a little bit. I don't know. Maybe the data was so overwhelming that there's just no good matchups against this deck. And then I get it, but we don't have perfect access to the data. So I just have to guess and speculate. 
it felt like the control decks were probably the best thing to be doing, but they didn't feel egregious to me. And it also felt like people weren't incentivized to attack them yet because the format hadn't moved to the point where they were super represented. Like I think they were probably the most played deck, but it wasn't by an egregious margin because it rarely is in modern. So if it got to that point, I would have supported this action. This felt a little premature to me though. Well, like I noted, uh, if you feel like you're going to have to make this ban somewhere down the line, it is probably just better to lump it all into one announcement. Right. But like this announcement only exists for historic and nobody cares. Like if you just say there's a historic update to the BNR list coming up, nobody bats an eye. We're just like, okay, whatever. Instead, people were like outraged for a full day. And granted, I wouldn't shape my opinions around people being outraged on Twitter because there's always outrage on Twitter. So you can't really avoid that. But it just wears on you after a while. And I think I'm not going to assign blame to the people who are angry and I'm not going to assign blame solely to mistakes that are being made. Just the two work in concert with each other to create this absolute tidal wave of negativity. And it's tough. Sometimes it's tough to parse. No, I feel you. I, the thing that I will note to you is that like, you're probably right in that mystic sanctuary and Uro will have to be addressed at some point. Like, Astrolabe weakens those archetypes and it weakens those two specific cards to the point where maybe they won't have to take action in the next six or 12 months even. But yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, I I agree that you could have just taken no action and it would have been fine. I mean, if like, sure there, there are the numbers, right. But I agree with you that like people were never like, Oh, we really have to beat these mid range decks in modern, you know, it's like everyone was still worrying about big man me included. It's like, yeah, these these fair decks exist, but like, whatever. I mean, we're going to do our modern thing with our burn deck or our Tron deck or whatever. And it's just how it's going to go against like any sort of mid-range deck. And depending on how they've built their deck, like it's going to determine whether or not they win or lose, right? But we never got to the point where people actually had to focus on those decks. And it, it does seem premature to me. Uh, it's, it seems like a band that like people probably wanted, but didn't need, I don't know. I don't, I don't really get it, especially since those decks are still going to be pretty good, but yeah, you, you know, I like, I tongue in cheek joke about the hits to my cards, but I, I honestly take them in stride and know that I deserve them. And that's not really my concern, but for the first time, this felt a little tough on the heels of banning Mox Opal because like. If this band's going to get made at some point anyway, maybe you depower Mox Opal enough that it could have remained one of the pillars of the format as it has for years and years. And I mean, again, you would put Mox Opal on the list of cards that got to go at some point, but that list is still super long. Like I can continue to make that list. And with the fact that we're just choosing to take shots at random moments in time now, uh, it's really hard to be a devoted modern player, I would say, and to buy into a lot of modern. And when are we going to get stability back? That's the question that keeps coming up. And you had a chance to have a period of stability and maybe not act on this immediately. Even if I agree that like some point you probably got to do something, but it just didn't feel like this was the right moment for it. And I would have liked to see Astrolabe get a little bit longer before it's effectively deprinted from magic. Because I, actually think while the impact of the card on deck quality and legacy is far less, 
I think it's egregious there. Like it just breaks one of the tenets of the format. Like something that's supposed to be an important check on how legacy operates is completely invalidated by Arkham's Astrolabe. Wasteland is supposed to control greedy mana. That's just what this format has been about for ages. And that's what people want it to be about. Like legacy is for the legacy players and you should be cognizant of that. And if you had taken out Astrolabe there, wouldn't have batted an eye. It makes perfect sense, but didn't get that. We got some acknowledgement of the problem, but no actual action. So this was just all in all a very confusing announcement to me. Yeah, one of the the happy side benefits, I think, of banning Astrolabe is that it does weaken the decks that Mox Opal would have been good in, you know, like just the various Urza decks. And maybe, yeah. again, that's like another reason why Astrolabe probably would have had to go somewhere down the line. But yeah, it makes me question the Opal ban a ways back versus just getting rid of Astrolabe. These things pile up. And if if I am starting to complain, like, okay, I'm getting a little sick of this now, when I almost willingly subject myself to it, there there is a problem. And there's a lot of people who are not willingly subjecting themselves to these type of fluctuations. And I feel for them. Yeah. And I, I agree, man. We could have we could have had stability. It could have been cool. It's again, it's not like people were clamoring for control deck bans in modern, you know, like people would complain about how Astrolabe is stupid and it is, but it's like, you can complain about Tron being stupid because it is. And that's just kind of modern, right? It's like, everyone is going to complain about whatever deck you register. If someone is not complaining about how stupid your deck is, deck's not good enough. Yeah. You picked a bad deck, right? Yep. And in addition to the format being relatively stable, we basically just got a new archetype with goblins. So it, it wasn't like it was stable and stale. It was stable and things were still going pretty good and you got like some new interest in the format. So yeah, there's actually a few corset 2021 cards that have been showing up in, you know, not dramatic numbers except for Snoop, but certainly there's some changes and you never know which one of those are going to pan out again, just an odd, odd time. But this finally brings me to my point that I've alluded to throughout this podcast. If you're ready for it, unless you have something else to say about modern. Nope. Hit me. That's it. Every single format needs to redefine its goals and what it uses to shape its banned and restricted list. I mean, we just need a reboot. And no matter how, I don't want to use the word facetious because that's not quite what I'm hitting at. And I inaccurate doesn't really get at what I'm saying either. There just has to be guiding lights and tent poles that are shaping all of this format, these formats. And what I would come up with if you gave keys to the castle to me, I would have a list basically of every single format, one simple statement. This is how we envision this format. This is the purpose of this format, you know, standards, the on-ramp and a highlight for our latest cards that we've printed. And modern is the place where all of magic's history for the last 15 years is on showcase. The goal is a wide variety of archetypes and combo is acceptable and So just like a broad statement and then further defined by specific rules that you are trying to achieve, e.g. stuff like the turn four format thing. Now that doesn't work. That's not what I would do. But something like no two card combo that costs less than five mana can win the game. You know, like you, you put breakpoints on these specific things and that's what you'll take action on. No free mana can exist. No this can exist. And you use that to shape the overarching goals of the format. And then if we get to a place where action has to be taken, we can talk about it 
under these terms. And all of this has to come with like a backstop for win rates. Like certainly if things cross a 55% win rate, they're out of control and you have to address that. That's always going to be implicitly stated. But anything not in that range that's being tinkered with, I think the player base deserves to have some knowledge of why we're doing that. And it's not only the fact that you're going to have this framework to operate under, it works as a reboot point at a time when, Jerry, I mean, like I've been doing this a long time and I've been part of the game for a long time. I've never seen this level of frustration. Like we go and look, if I go right now and look through our podcast questions that were proposed for this week, like half of them are about, I'm not enjoying magic right now. What do I do? Why is there so much negativity? How can I reestablish my relationship with the game? Like it comes up over and over and over. And frankly, it scares me because I haven't seen the tides move this aggressively. And there's a lot involved in this. We have a very negative world right now. We have a lot of broader problems. We have social media, which kind of inflames these passions a lot because of the way it's set up. So some of it is a little bit false, but there's a lot of truth underneath as well. And I think setting out a contract that kind of renegotiates what competitive magic is about and how we shape this formats, these formats is exactly what Wizards needs to do right now. All right, big, big problem with what you're suggesting is that I don't think things have really gone as they have planned for like the last year or so. Of course. Right. So it's of like, course. it's, it's really difficult to set these guidelines and then print something like Oko or whatever, which completely throws it all. Ideally you have those guidelines and you adhere to them in ways where you're, you're just like not implicitly breaking them with every set that you release, but it seems mm-hmm. like they've had an issue with that. And I, I have faith that they will be able to correct that because they were fairly aggressive in taking shots. And I think that that's fine but maybe just reel it in a bit. And I I think things can get to a point where they can have those guidelines and have them actually play out the way that they intend to. Right. And I I think they can honestly be a useful tool in shaping these formats in the first place and deciding how far to push. If you have these guidelines and you know, okay, this is certainly going to run up against this guideline you can really weigh that out a little bit more and think about the risk inherent in printing it. And I don't know, like I'm, I'm assuming a lot about the way conversations go behind the scenes and what you actually are hoping to achieve, but it all comes from a place of just like fear. I, I am afraid of the tone conversation is taking on right now. And I, I just think some kind of reboot would be a good gesture. It's like, think about the response after play design came on board, like almost universal response or almost universal support. And in the period immediately following their impact on the game, we were very willing to just be positive about things. And in retrospect, maybe too positive. Like if you think about that era there's only been like six or seven months where things were really, really good. And they were really, really good. Don't get me wrong. I, like There was a huge amount of upside. And I'm not trying to assign blame to anyone involved in the process. That's not, that's not my goal here. And I'm not trying to place blame on play design. I'm just saying that when that change was presented to the public, 
the public became very receptive of Wizards goals and very supportive of Wizards goals and very willing to be like, okay, here's a nice change. Look, you can point to the, the addition of this team and see what they're trying to achieve here. And I think you could make this type of contract and go, okay, look, this is what they're trying to achieve. This is why this set is doing these things. And I agree with this goal. I'm on board with this. And maybe just turn the tide of conversation a little bit, or maybe you should just ignore all the conversation. And none of this is important to making a good game. I, I don't know, but I just find myself constantly searching for like, how do we turn the ship around? And I'm sure people who have read my writing have seen me go down this path a few times. Like, here's my suggestion. Here's what we can do. I'm not the type that can sit back and just watch things go poorly. Like I want to find proactive solutions and ways we can get out ahead of it. And that's why I keep racking my brain with this stuff. And I certainly will respect any criticisms of these type of plans, but I just want something so badly. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I agree with all that, actually. It, like like I said, if if they are like, hey, we're rebooting and then just like immediately blow it, obviously it looks bad. But I think it's still net positive better than just continuing on the way that things are going and have people just being like they're they're just like losing confidence by the day right yeah and at least if you make some effort to show good faith and like realize that there's a problem and like hey here's what we're going to try and do to to fix it or whatever it's like that will do more to assuage like you know fear and negativity and just yeah. yeah, just assuming that something bad is going to happen, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think this argument sounds like I'm coming at it from a negative place, and I get that, but it's actually because I do believe in their capacity to turn things around, and I want everyone else to believe in it too. Yeah, no. Like, that's this, what I'm really looking for here. This is optimism. This is, I know that they can do better, yes. and they're they're not currently, but I, I know that they can, and- it's just like, how how do we get to that point? And also, how do you win back some of the the bad trust. faith created? Yeah, the trust. Yeah, you need trust again. And you can do that through action. And you're not going to be able to do it through words. You need both, absolutely. But it might, the words might go a long way towards showing people that like, hey, you know, pay attention. I think so. Cool, 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 cool. Is there anything that you thought that was egregious that should have been on this BNR list? In the modern space or generally? Just generally. Yeah. Like I said, I would have taken out Astrolabe in Legacy and I would have done more in Pioneer. It didn't make sense to me. I, like I, You could have sold me on a dig through time ban as opposed to like just cutting off Thassa's Oracle, like maybe weakening the deck first. But like yeah, I said, too, that brings its risky. own risks. Too yeah. risky. Yeah, I get that. I, I think I would have just killed both those decks and- taken that hit and I would have gotten rid of Astrolabe and Legacy. And other than that, nothing else springs to mind. But I feel like you have something based on this question. No, I was just, I was curious. Okay. Astrolabe and Legacy is a good one. I mean, I, I would have taken more action in Standard before uh, M21, but, Same. you know, just, just kind of is what it is. Now we have to wait for it all to play out. And then sometime soon we'll have rotation and get to start fresh and hopefully things will Things will be okay. Yeah, I only didn't mention standard because I think that ship sailed. Like, I think you, right. you can't you can't mess with the format anymore. It's just it's not something you can continually do. So, uh, if you were going to do it, you had to do it before M twenty one. And now we're just waiting out rotation. 
Well, in case y'all did not get enough of the questions last week, and God bless anyone who sat through all three and a half hours of that episode, uh, it's it's time for our question of the week. And the question that we selected this week comes from Jeff Pica. What did you think about the OP announcement? Because I liked it, but it doesn't seem like most people did. And this is something we obviously could have just talked about on the podcast, but I don't know. I feel like it's a, a fine place to put it here. Just we'll do a little Q&D version. Yeah, my quick response. I liked it. Uh, for me, it works. It kind of makes it feel like maybe there's a reason to participate in one of these arena PTs, which I haven't felt in a very long time. I don't know if I'm going to, but like I could almost talk myself into it and it sounds more interesting than it did before this announcement. That's strictly for its impact on me in terms of the long-term health of magic. I don't care about this announcement's impact on that because this is a stopgap announcement. Like this is an announcement made under extreme duress when the world is just not working. I don't think like this is going to be the future of the game. I think there's a lot of work to do when you set up that system, but this was just supposed to bridge the gap. Now, when it comes to the MPL stuff, I feel for the people in the MPL. I think it's important to be able to plan out your life and to really commit to this idea. And there's going to be a lot more churn at the top than there was, but that also opens the door for a lot of people. And while those individuals take a hit for sure, and I empathize with it, I think you need to have something to aspire to. The goal feels closer than it did before and still ludicrously out of reach, but like you could maybe start to parse how things could break in your favor and you could end up there. And I think that's important for the OP system. You have to always have people chasing that goal. feels like they open the door a little bit. So while I have empathy for the people who have had a lot of uncertainty introduced into their lives... I do think this is probably net positive, but like I said, this doesn't strike me as the long-term path of magic. Like this is a stopgap 100%. All right. I think I have a question for you. Okay. I hope I can answer it. Why do we have an MPL? So I get why it was created, right? But like right now. Is it doing that job? No. Is it doing anything? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. I mean, it's supposed to create stars, but it is not achieving that goal. And the whole, like I said, the whole system needs a reboot. This isn't going to work long-term. This was not the time for it. That's my only point. And you can argue that if not now, when I could hear that because there isn't much going on, but it just seems like you do this reboot when things are back to normal. And when tabletop is a thing again, this is just too weird of a spot to try and attack this. Uh, But long-term, I, I I do agree with you. It's just not really doing anything for me at this point. Yeah, it, it's lost sight of its goals, I believe. My take on it, having not really paid much attention to like what paths into what, although one of the things that I did see was that you can qualify for like the next arena qualifier by getting N amount of wins in the previous one. Was that always a thing or is that a new thing? I think that's a new thing. Yeah. Pretty I sure th- that's a new thing. I thought it was a new thing too. And it seemed like a really good idea. And it makes Yeah, me- you have to chain. You have to be able to chain stuff. Yes. Uh so so that is cool. Kudos to that. Kudos to well, I should finish my uh initial thought. Like not paying attention too much to specifics. I like the fact that they recognize that 
we are in the situation we're in and that they need to fix things or at least like, you know, come up with a new system that is no longer really saying like, oh, you know, this will qualify you for this pro tour that happened some undetermined time in the future or whatever. It's like, nope, scrap that. Like, we'll just, we'll just do the online thing and this is how we're going to do it. And when things get back to normal, we will then fix things or try to fix them. Hmm. Uh, so I, I appreciate that that is where their heads are at, you know, like it's just a, a very realistic take on the situation. I feel like there's a butt coming. No, no, that's that. That was actually kind of okay. it. Like I, okay. like I said, I didn't look at uh, the specific road mapping too much because I don't know, it, it just wasn't, I didn't really need to dig into the nuance, but as far as where their, their head is at, I, I like it. it. It's very similar to what we talked about before as far as like them needing to reboot effectively and in the case of op like their their head is in the right place and i don't know if the the minutiae all lines up or whatever but even with the you know going five wins or seven wins or whatever like use you for the next arena thing like that's a step in the right direction that's actively good what do you think about jeff's claim that it didn't seem like most people like this announcement i've been mostly staying off twitter smart man Gerald, this is this is why we work so well together. I am presently back on Twitter after spending a bunch of time off Twitter. And basically every day I'm like, eh, maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't have bothered with this. Maybe I should have just stayed off. Yeah, one, one of the, the people I like a lot who I follow references like doom scrolling a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's very apt. <laughs> Yeah, doom scrolling and uh, stupidity gazing is another one I find myself doing quite often. Like, oh, look at this dumb person in Florida who refuses to wear a mask or something like that. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. It's just a a net negative behavior as is so much of what happens in the Twitter space. And when you put it as stupid gazing, I feel like that's a thing that feels dirty. Yeah, it makes me not want to do it. It's like, oh, this is... When you put it like that, I definitely should not be doing it. Yeah. I think a lot of our behaviors on social media are things we should not be doing. And that's one point that really came into very clear focus for me when I took a break and thought about like what this behavior actually adds to my life. And it does add something. Like like all things, it's, it's give and take. I've formed a lot of good relationships with it people who otherwise I would have never spoken to. I certainly get a bunch of information. So it's like, it's not all downside. It's just the way we engage with the platform is so net negative and it manipulates us into acting in a fashion that is so confrontational and so, I want to say disingenuous. It's not that when I use Twitter, I'm being disingenuous. It's just that there's no space for me to present nuance. Like we talked a lot about our podcast last week and how this is supposed to be a zone for nuance and how we can go very deep into things. And Twitter by design does not let you do that. So if I present what is a very complex idea in 280 characters, it's probably going to suck. And it's probably going to leave you a lot of room to come back at me with a defeat of my idea. And then I try and come back at you, but I'm still lacking the characters. And we're just screaming back and forth at each other and nothing good is happening. And that's like the platform in a nutshell. It's just designed to create a lot of anger, a lot of division. And I have been feeling it intensely since I spent some time away from it. So I have to think about 
really what my long-term relationship is going to be because it's a useful platform. Like we use it to advertise our stuff, obviously, and to share information. And the core of this podcast, Arena Decklist, like that's a net benefit. Like it gets a lot yeah. of information out there to people and it's good, but there's so, so much noise and you really have to work to aggressively filter it out and make the space positive. Yeah, I, I'm never going to be mad at Twitter, I don't think, because like you said, a, a lot of good things have happened for me as a result of it. I mean, yeah, it's it's good for business and all that, but like Twitter is basically where I met Nick, you know, and interacted with him for the first handfuls of times. So sure. Yeah, it's just stuff like that where it's like, no, this is this is actually actually cool. But yeah, the the quote unquote doom scrolling and quote unquote stupid gazing, I could do I could do less of that for sure. We all could do less of that. But I since since I've mostly been off it, I also feel like I'm less connected and not like in a yes. deep, deep, meaningful connected space. But it's like I don't know what other people are thinking. And that's definitely a positive and a negative there are some things where I'm just like, I, I really don't need to know that person's opinion on everything, you know? So it's, it's cool that I'm, I'm missing out on that. But as far as like, Oh, how did you feel like people reacted as a whole to this announcement? I literally don't know. Yeah. I noted when I came back to the platform that I had spent the last few weeks feeling very isolated, like just very cut off from other people. And at a time when like, there's not much human to human interaction maybe it wasn't the best time to experiment with that kind of goal because it it just felt so lonely. I agree with all of your points. It's a complicated question. And even with the unlimited space that we afford ourselves here on this podcast, I don't think we're going to get to the bottom of it. So uh, well, maybe we should just declare it game. I I noted that my lack of connection is not like the deep, meaningful kind that I get from Twitter. And if you feel like you know, maybe it's not meaningful, but it definitely fills up some of the connection to actual humans quotient in your life. I mean, try and fill that time with other stuff. And I realize yeah. that it's like kind of difficult given the the climate and the times and everything. But just like uh, a buddy of mine reached out and said that he is he just like reached out to a bunch of people and has like weekly video chats with them and stuff. And yep. so I talk to him like basically every week for like three hours at a time. And it's, it's rad. Uh, I feel like you could do that and get something more meaningful and better out of it. Yeah, I did some of that and it, it did make a big difference. And I like that, like inspired me to call people I hadn't spoken to in a while. And you didn't call me. I, that's cool. Well, we talk for hours every <laughs> single week. Yeah. Call you a bunch of times. Get out of here. I know. I know. You you call me way more than I call you. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. But I, I think like I, I would really like to normalize just calling people to check in. Like that's just something that's so far out of average lives. And we all joke about it, right? Like you see your phone ring and you immediately mute it and then text them and say, what's up? But like, I don't know. I, I've had way more phone calls in the last six months than I did in probably the six years before that. And it has meant a lot to me. We should do more. Just call someone to check in stuff. Well, I would try to get you to come out and, you know, like play games with our mutual friends and come to lunches and dinners and stuff. And it's like you, you did most of that stuff, you know, but I definitely felt like, I don't know, I guess now, if and when things go back to normal, that 
if you get those invites, I would hope that you attended them more often than you did before. It's more complicated than that. Look, like I know because without getting too deep into like my personal mode of interaction, it's way easier for me to speak to one person than to speak to a bunch of person. Like I just get very overwhelmed in group scenarios and it's hard for me to like track conversations and my ADD kicks in and you and I are speaking, but I'm actually listening to the person next to me and still trying to keep up. So it's not optimal, but in general, I agree with you. Like I want to leave all of this more receptive of social situations because it has become clear to me that as much as I think like I'm a loner and that's a fair description, like I mostly like my time alone, I still do appreciate getting out and getting to be amongst people. Dude, sure. of course, of course. I I was one of the people that joked that like, oh, I've been practicing for a quarantine my entire life. And it's like, right. yeah, it's, it's kind of true to some extent, but it's like, I, I also just miss humans, you know? Yep. Same. And I, I don't get that going to the grocery store, especially when I'm mad at all the people not wearing masks and stuff, you know? They're yeah, mad like, and terrified. That's, that's yeah. how I leave the house now. It's like, why are you so close to that other person? I don't understand, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know that about the one-on-one thing. You did always show up to our one-on-ones, but those were also like business meetings, so. I mean, you kind of, well, I would have showed up to any one-on-ones that we had to, like, it wasn't, I wasn't coming just for the business. Like I was coming to hang out with you. No, but. no, I know. I'm, we, we spent half the time hanging out anyway, but right. yeah, I mean, had I, had I known that that probably would have changed the dynamic and certainly the amount that I pressured you into, you know, going to various things. Yeah. I don't want to make it sound like it's an absolute, like I can't handle it, but it definitely no, is. I know, I know. You know how like, you know how you get home after some social interactions for a while and you're just like, I am wiped. Like yes. I can't speak to another human and I need to sit alone for a while. That happens way quicker when I'm with like a bunch of people than with I'm with one person. I think that's probably true for everyone. It's just, I feel it really hard. No, I do. I completely relate. I understand. And it, it just meant that I would have interacted with you differently or like, you know, tried to curate the events that I tried to get you to differently. Yeah. That makes sense. It's like, I'm, I will not recommend, I will not make the same recommendations for like media or music to people. Like I try to cater it to things that I actually think that they will like rather than things that I like. Mm, Much like all of my recommendations to you, which you always immediately hate. Yeah. You, you know, you hit some, you, you lose some, I don't know. A lot of misses there. Brian tried to get me to watch Doom Patrol, and like, great, he succeeded. It was just not very good. That's, you that's did watch it, say. so so I achieved my goal, uh, dude. I'm probably gonna stop this podcast and then go back to watching it because gotta have something on in the background, and I'm completely devoid of television shows to watch. So good, enjoy. Well, that's gonna do it. Uh, that is that is game. I I've hung out with you, Brian. I've established my quota, and now I'm gonna go be by myself and. By myself, I mean with a bunch of cats. Good idea. Game! Good luck.